Well, good morning. This morning, we want to continue talking about right thinking produces right actions. And we want to um, illustrate uh, more in detail exactly what this looks like, how to think correctly. And of course, the predicate for this teaching is the reality that in a biblically, biblically defined universe, you only have two states in which you can live. You either live in the state of, of rebellion and death, or you live in a state of obedience and life. The former state is called the default state. It's how we're born into this world in a fallen condition. Therefore, we're inherently by nature living in rebellion against God and our destiny is death. And the opposite is true in the redeemed state. If you come to know Christ, you've been born again, regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to express faith in Christ. Now you live in the state that's, that's not known as obedience in life. That is, you're, you're progressively learning how to obey and align with the will of God, and therefore your you're in, in state will be life. Even though you may experience physical death, which most of us will, barring the return of Christ, then there is resurrection to eternal life. So that's the beauty of the redeemed state, is we are redeemed from the eternal consequences of sin and death. So I just wanna go through a few traits here of these two states. Uh, I call this the contrast of these Tower of Babel versus beyond Babel. What Augustine called it was the city of man versus the city of God. Augustine was a great Christian theologian, which I encourage all of you to be familiar with and to read uh, his, uh, his writings, uh, particularly his work called the city of, city of God. It's a powerful work applying these truths that we're talking about today and other truths associated with this uh, to the, the events of his day. So we're gonna to try to do what Augustine did and then we're gonna to try to apply these truths to our day and talk more specifically about how they apply to us and particularly how they apply to us in the workplace. So let's just walk through some of these traits. Uh, number one is the motive, obviously is gonna be very different. In the default state, the motive will be man's will, but in the, the redeemed state will be God's will. The attitude in the default state is all about pride. In the redeemed state is humility. Humility means being low, not thinking highly of yourself, but always being aware that you are a created being. You are not God. We are not God. We are his creatures and we exist at his pleasure and for his purpose and to serve him alone. So that's gotta be our attitude of humility. The source of wisdom, in the default state, it's just worldly wisdom. It's just what we can do, see in the natural. We have through common grace, the, the ability to see certain things and to do certain things, but we're very limited in what we can see and do. In the redeemed state, you have access now to divine wisdom. You have metaphysical awareness. You have the ability to see God's perspective on what's really going on. And when you see things from God's perspective, you see reality more correctly and you're able to respond to reality better. The empowerment in the default state is all human potency. God creates man and gives him a certain level of power, but it's limited power. And it's not gonna be efficacious enough to live really well in God's universe. To really live well, you need divine potency. You need the Holy Spirit indwelling you, which is what we have now since the advent of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit after his ascension, we have divine potency the ability now to do things that in the in the, our just normal potency we could never do. The metric, how we measure things in the default state, it's all about man. 
man the measure, homo mensuras, man the measure. And in the redeemed state, it's des mensura, which is God the measure. You see, the measure of reality is always God. The measure of what is right and wrong is always God. When you hear anybody talking about right and wrong, you're, you're in a theological conversation. And the question is, what is their metric? Because if they don't have a sound metric, they will have a flawed view of right and wrong. So the only way to have a really sound, reliable view of right and wrong is we have to let God define it, which means that mankind does not have the right to define the things, to redefine things that God has defined. Some simple examples of that today are like, the, when does the life begin? You know, the abortion movement would try to tell you life doesn't begin until the woman declares that the baby is alive. That means that you can abort the baby, you can kill the baby anytime up to that declaration, and it's not murder. We, we believe, biblically, that the baby was, is alive at conception and is a baby at conception, a person at conception. And if you kill that baby anytime after conception, then what you've done is called murder. Likewise, we believe scripture defines marriage, that we don't have the right to redefine it. We believe that scripture defines gender identity. We don't have the right to redefine that either. So you can see we are really in our state today rebelling, rebelling against God's definitions of reality. And we're living in this default state of sin and death. Success in the default state is a temporal measure and money is generally it. Maybe power, maybe influence, uh, those kinds of things. But in the redeemed state, success is alignment with the will and ways of God. That is, there, there will be eternal success first, and secondarily, there will be temporal success. And finally, we have grace. Grace is the empowerment to do something, the empowerment to obey God, to align with God. You see, in the default state, you have common grace. You have a certain level of that. It's limited. But in the redeemed state, you have not only common, but special grace. The special grace is the grace to receive Christ and to walk in the power of the Spirit and to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So these are the contrasts between the default state and the redeemed state and the contrast in which way we build. We either build according to Towers of Babel or beyond Babel. And our default condition is always Towers of Babel. And Towers of Babel are always about monuments to self-glory. You see the pride the attitude of pride dominates Towers of Babel, whereas Beyond Babel is all about humility, doing God's will, God's way for God's glory alone. So let me give you some implications of this. What does this look like as we kind of break this down and look in more detail? Here's some implications. Number one is, is the right handbook. The handbook for a Christian is the Bible, the handbook for life, the handbook for business, the handbook for investments the handbook for economics, the handbook for history, the handbook for geography, ultimately everything, cosmology, physics, everything comes back to the word of God. The, the Bible is the handbook for all of reality. It gives us God's perspective and should be the starting point for trying to learn any topic. Every course should begin with the first day. The professor should walk in there and hold up the Bible and say this, is the starting point. This is the what the Greeks would call the RK. The RK was the starting point for any particular topic. And for Christianity, the RK is always the Bible for every topic. 
So that's one of the major implications. Most of most of the redeem, the non-redeemed world, the, the world in rebellion against God today, totally rejects any kind of Bible Bible involvement or Bible uh, Bible engagement. They do not believe the Bible is relevant to what's going on today. They think they can figure it out themselves. Then we have the cultural mandate or the creation mandate. Organizations are tools to obey the creation mandate. In other words, organizations don't exist primarily to make money. They exist primarily to be tools to obey the creation mandate of Genesis 1, 26 to 28. You see, today, most people work for the American dream. The American dream is all about them doing what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it, and not having to report to anybody. In other words, being totally in charge of their lives, being uns unsurrendered to God and anything else. So that is not the way we're called to live. We're called to be God's agents to rule his creation. We have that call on our life every moment of every day that we're alive. We, we do not have the right to stop. We don't have the right to redefine why my, mankind exists. And organizations are simply a tool to enable mankind to do what he was created to do. Continuing on, strategic planning. Most people think strategic planning is all about, you know, how do you, uh, how do you figure out how to make, maximize profit? How do you make the most money you can you know, with the resources you have? What are the greatest opportunities? That's commonly what's called strategic planning. Strategic planning biblically is a process of discerning the will of God. And that's very clearly laid out in scripture in James chapter four, verses 13 through 17. Generational transfer. This is what really trumps retirement. You see, when you start getting older and you start thinking about not working, you start thinking about retirement, you're talking about thinking about making life easy for you, and you're not worried about anything beyond your life. Once you die, you don't care about what happens to the next generation. That's how the world thinks. That's, that's how rebellious people think. But people who are living beyond Babel, they realize they're part of a big meta-narrative. And there were people that came before them, and people will come after them. And we play a part in the big story of history. And we have to be recognized that part of our role is to prepare the next generation to do what they're called to do, just like we should have learned from the prior generation what we were called to do. So generational transfer trumps any kind of self-centered, self-serving attitudes and has us focused on thinking big, big picture, long term. Then we have leadership. Leadership is about alignment with God. It's about leading people into alignment with the will and ways of God. A few years ago, when I did a seminar on leadership, uh, I spent a lot of time reading materials, uh, secular material, and, and as well as material written by professing Christians. And, and it was a massive, a massive amount of reading I did. And I was stunned what, what I found. What I discovered is that virtually all of the leadership material from the professing Christian world was virtually the same as what the secular world was writing. Both were saying basically the same thing. I didn't see hardly anyone. There might've been one or two writers I found that thought beyond the secular thinkers. And those that did, they realized that leadership, the real role of leadership is to bring alignment with God. That's what real leadership is, is to give people vision and organizations vision about how to align with the purpose of God. That is a very challenging role. It's very difficult. And very few leaders that I've ever met in any context, including local ecclesias, are very good at this. 
it's a, it's a very unusual person that has this perspective correctly that can really lead organizations well. Management is about shepherding. Shepherds are there to keep people on track to execute visions that leaders put together. Then you have equal yoking. Equal yoking is about how do we efficiently produce whatever it is we're called to produce, whatever product or service an organization is called to produce, how do we do it? Equal yoking is a key principle to do that. Along with that is we have to recognize people are not fungible. This little imagery here of six different snowflakes, every one of them is different. It's a picture of how people are. Every human being is different in some way. We have certain, certainly have commonalities, but we have differences and God makes these differences, these distinctions for his purpose to prepare us to do what he's called us to do. So that means people are not fungible. Fungibility means interchangeable. You can't just inter put one person in a position and, and watch them do well and then, then move them to another position and assume they're gonna do well. See, each person is designed to do certain things. And as a manager, as a leader, you want to put people in the right positions where they're called to be, support them in those positions, and don't presume that you can just put them anywhere. You have to discern the will of God for them and use them congruent with the will of God. And hopefully you've discerned the needs of your organization properly so that, that you have the right people in the right places doing the right things for the right reasons and you get the right results. And that comes from proper management and leadership and proper thinking about how people are intentionally and sovereignly made to serve God's purpose. Then you have profit. Profit is uh, for most people the end and uh, the measure of success, the measure of significance, the measure of security. Profit is none of those. Profit is a tool and a byproduct of obedience to God. Profit is a tool to obey. God. And when you see that, it's just mind boggling. It totally changes how you view money. Money is a temporal tool. That's all it is. It doesn't have value beyond this existence. Its value here is to train us and to enable us to obey God, his will, his ways for his glory. Now that's very challenging. That is so non-default thinking. The default thinking is money is all of, is the end game. Beyond Babel thinking, money is not the end game. Obedience alignment with God is the end game. So success, real success, is obedience to the will and the ways of God. So these are implications of building beyond Babel. It's very different from building towers of Babel. But towers of Babel are what we are in, by default going to build. So let's look at some other ways this plays out. And uh, this this is some some different ways, a different cut at it. So uh, I've just got seven issues here and I've got uh, two columns. I've got the Tower Babel in the middle column and the right-hand column is the Beyond Babel. And so you look at, uh, for example, the first issue, rules of work. Uh, I think every organization knows you have to have rules of work uh, because we're in a fallen world. They may not call it a fallen world. They may not recognize that the real root issue of all the problems is sin. So, but they know there's problems. And so they have to come up with a way to solve the problems. So building towers of Babel, what you do is you determine empirically and pragmatically how to approach these problems by developing processes, rational heuristic processes that help you do that. Well, from a beyond Babel perspective, a Christian worldview, 
we look to scripture to guide us into alignment with what are the right rules of work. And we certainly will use our mind, we'll use empirical data, we'll use heuristic processes, and we'll be pragmatic as well. But all of this is subordinated to the word of God. The word of God guides us into the right rules of work. How about the purpose of organizations? Well, this is very simple. Most people that build a Tower of Babel, it's all about the money. But if you are building beyond Babel, it's going to be about fulfillment of the creation mandate, obedience to the master, doing the will and ways of God for his glory. So it's a totally different mindset. Next issue, people. We talked about this. You see that in the uh, Tower of Babel model, people are viewed as random products of impersonal forces and are therefore fungible. You just need a person to do something. You just put a person in a slot. There's no thought about the divine design of people at all. On the Beyond Babel model, it's just the opposite. People are created with intent and purpose and are to be employed consistent with their divine design. You're looking for how does God want this person to be utilized? What is this person's purpose? And when I use them properly, I use them according to the will of God, and that will be blessed. If I don't use them according to the will of God, I will abuse them, and that will not be blessed. So if you want to bless your organization, you've got to learn to think about people correctly, and you've got to learn to deploy and utilize people correctly. The next issue, personal morality. It's very common to say, that you can live in your private life any way you want to live, but when you come into the workplace, you've got to follow the code of conduct. You've got to do what we tell you to do. That assumes that people can bifurcate life. Well, we know from scripture that that is not possible. So a beyond Babel approach is very different. That beyond Babel approach recognizes people are holistic and therefore cannot morally bifurcate private life and work life. Whatever they do in their private life, they will do in their work life. If they are they're sexually immoral, they betray their spouse in their private life, they will probably betray the company. You can count on that. That's one of the measures. You look and see how a person lives, and you will get a sense of how they will work. So personal morality is a big clue to where people are and whether or not you can really use them to build beyond Babel. Leadership and management, we talked a little bit about this. The objective of leadership and management is maximizing profit. That is the Tower of Babel thinking. The Beyond Babel thinking is the objective of leadership and management, leadership and management is to properly utilize people to fulfill the will of God. That is just a mind blower for most. It just, they have a hard time connecting with that. And it's because the default thinking of Tower of Babel thinking which is also called spirit of antichrist thinking is deep in all of us. Even if you know Christ, that thinking's still deep there and you have to work to be transformed to thinking beyond Babel, to thinking Christian. It's not easy. It takes a lot of time and work. It's difficult to mature and grow into the right thinking that you need, but you gotta have the right worldview or you'll never get the right thinking. Money, money is a tool to facilitate temporal success according to the Tower of Babel thinking, but in Beyond Babel, money is a tool to facilitate alignment with the will of God that leads to eternal success. And finally, the seventh one is success. Success in the Tower of Babel world is fame, fortune, or, and or influence, but in the Beyond Babel model, it is obedience to the will of God. So hopefully you can see the contrast 
between Tower of Babel thinking or spirit of Antichrist thinking and Christian worldview are beyond Babel thinking. Dramatic difference. This is why getting the right worldview is so critical. It's the critical predicate before you can think correctly. You will never think correctly if you don't have the right worldview. Now, let me just uh, show you practically how this works out financially. Uh, I've got some data here on the GDP per capita as of 2017. It's the latest data I could find. And I've got um, five different scenarios here. I've got India, which is largely a Hindu worldview, uh, Egypt, which is Islamic worldview, China, which is atheistic worldview, Mexico is a Catholic worldview, and America is largely Protestant Christianity. So just looking at, at how in these, these five situations, what is the GDP per capita? How does it compare? Well, in, in India, it's about 7.166, and that is thousands. That's $7,166 per person. When you go to Egypt, it goes up to 11,608. When you go to China, it goes up to 16,842. When you go to Mexico, it goes to 18,656. And when you come into North America, you're looking at almost $60,000 per capita. So you can see, <clears throat> Compared to Mexico, it's three times what, in, what it is in Mexico. And of course, almost 10 times what it is in India. So this is, you can see there's very, very tangible differences financially in the gross domestic product of a country based on the overall worldview that's adopted by the country. Now, hopefully you're looking at this and recognizing something. You recognize that, that in North America, Christianity, Protestant Christianity is being rejected rapidly, aggressively by the, the culture. Now, what would you expect to happen to the gross domestic product per capita? Well, I think you can look at these other examples and see the direction that we're likely going. We're not going up. The United States is coming down. And no, these other countries are not going up either. They're going to they're gonna be stagnant. They may vary a little bit. Um, but they're, they're not going to go up. So basically, North America is coming back. We're way ahead of the pack, and we're regressing. So in the name of progress, we're going to regress. This is an example how, of how the term progressive that's used applied to the cultural elite and to the people that are driving things today is a misnomer. It is deception. Because the only way to be truly progressive is to align with God. And we are not aligning with God. We're rejecting alignment with God. So we are regressing. And it will show up financially probably sooner than later. So we may be seeing the peak uh, in, the, in the history of the United States, the peak productivity this country will ever produce. It's just likely to now beginning to decay and to be another wrong worldview and therefore get the financial results of wrong worldviews. Now I do have an exercise I want to real quickly take you through real quickly. It's a, it's a 10 question exercise and all of these statements I believe are true statements. The question is based on your actions, do you really agree with these statements? So I'm going to read them and I'm going to encourage you to uh, score yourself 
And uh, when you get through, uh, we'll we'll take a take a look at this and talk about this. But uh, be look at your actions. Don't look at what you believe or what. Uh, don't just score yourself a ten because I told you I think it's true. No, score yourself based on really how you function, what you do, and what what your actions are telling you about what you really believe. Because what you really believe is what how you function. Your actions reveal what is what you really believe, not your tongue. Your tongue can deceive you and deceive others, but your actions will reveal truth. So look at your actions and score yourself. Number one, organizations exist to fulfill the creation mandate in the context of the meta narrative. Number two, the protevangelum contains the meta narrative in reductionist form. Now you should remember the protevangelum is Genesis 3:15. It's the <clears throat> basically the prophetic word for history. It's the hall of history in one sentence, and that the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. That is the war between two seeds, as Dennis calls it. It is the battle of history, the battle of good and evil. It goes on, has been going on since the fall, will culminate in the return, the second advent of Christ, the return of Christ, and the final solution of sin and death and that's when the meta narrative ends. So the meta narrative begin right here in Genesis 3. It ends in Revelation 20. So the protevangelum contains the meta narrative in reductionist form. So is that really, is your life really reflect that, that belief? Now, the Old Testament experiments were intended to reveal the nature of fallen mankind. Old Testament experiments had to do with, with the fact that man first was allowed to just see what he would do after the fall. And of course, it led to the flood, the judgment for the flood and the judgment on the Tower of Babel because mankind rebelled against God. Then given a promise, mankind couldn't even live under a promise, had to come up with his own way to fulfill the promise. So we wound up with Ishmael and the modern day, you know, evidence of that is the war between Israel and the Arab nations. That's a war between, you know, Isaac and Ishmael. That's been going on for thousands of years. And then we know the law was given and the, the Israelites failed miserably to, to obey the law because they lacked the potency. There was nothing wrong with the law. The law revealed the sin in us and our inability to live up to God's standards. Christ came to live up to those standards and die for our sin and is our substitute for our sin. And so now we have life because of Christ. We are redeemed because of Christ. So that's uh, that is all that that the experiments of history and that that's a big part of the meta narrative. The tower of Babel is a picture of the best that man fallen mankind can do in his own potency. The tower of Babel project failed because of the narcissistic motive of the project leaders. Yes, they wanted self glory. That was their, their motivation. The solution to fallen mankind's condition is facilitated by substitutionary work of Christ. Jesus died as our substitute. That's the only solution, the only efficacious solution to our fallen condition. Organizations can enjoy enduring success only by alignment with Jesus. The Beyond Babel model facilitates alignment with Jesus based on a Christian worldview. The default state of mankind is to build towers of Babel instead of beyond Babel. And the best metric of success is alignment with the will and the ways of God. So may God give us grace to live in the reality of these truths 
May they be deep in us in our thinking so we can think correctly and then we can act correctly and we'll get the results that God wants. May we have grace for this in Jesus' name. Amen.